This episode of Beyond the Bottom Line is brought to you by the Program on Entrepreneurship at the Yale School of Management, where we're educating students for business and society. So welcome to this week's edition of Beyond the Bottom Line. We are excited to have Yang Zhao in the studio with us today. Yang is one of the founders of Junzi Kitchen, which is a fast casual Chinese restaurant concept that was launched here in New Haven back in 2014. Welcome, Yang. Thank you. I um, would love to hear a little bit about the beginnings of your story, and then we'll move into some of the work that you're doing around bringing Chinese culture to America at scale. Sure. Um, Junzi Kitchen started in 2014. Um, but before that, were uh, a bunch of Chinese students uh, at Yale. Um, so we're missing the food from home. Uh, in the meantime, we want something quick. Um, so that idea, we started really think about the food we have been eating when we grew up uh, in home and in college, uh, the trim beans and the noodle bowls. Um, and then I started really thinking about a startup idea around it and find a lot of feasibilities around it, um, seeing the new potential of making a new generation of um, cultural brand of Chinese culture and the food um, through make it accessible, everyday, healthier, more authentic Chinese food. Um, so that's kind of uh, the, the initial idea. So a bunch of friends of, of mine got really excited about it and started kind of drawing kind of brand images. I started really cooking the first trim beans by calling my mom about how do you do that at home with a lot of friends getting together. Uh, I really taking the trim bean to my lab, uh, to a lot of my uh, lab uh, lab mates, uh, kind of making them try it, how they feel it. You know, all these things happened before. We actually, okay, let's really open a restaurant um, in 2014 in the YEI. The Yale Entrepreneurial Institute. Yep. So at the time, you were a forestry school graduate student. Yes. And your co-founders were? Uh, one um, from also already graduate from forestry uh, master programs. Um, another one at the moment graduate, just, just graduate from UR school. And you are from northern China. So can you talk a little bit about the area that you're from? I'm from northeast China, the Manchuria area which is a border between uh, like Russia and North Korea. Uh, so the food there is very straightforward because it's, it's very new kind of uh, um, like residential area for Chinese. Um, the, the, the farmland is relatively new and there's large farms. Uh, so it's like, in a way, it's like Texas of China. <laughs> so people there like, they are bold and wild, <laughs> and people have like an imagination about their food. There's a large portions and, and uh, simple, straightforward food. Um, so, in northern China, people eat a lot of uh, um, flour-based uh, food, such as noodles, uh, dumplings, uh, trimbings. So, what is a trimbing? Trimbing is a basic, literally translated, spring pancake. Um, so, a bing is a term uh, as a foundation of flour-based food. So dumplings traditionally, uh, it, it's like a bean wrap with with a meatball in it. <laughs> so basically a flat pancake. Uh, and, you know, um, so noodles was called the uh, 
soup bing because they basically shredded bing into a story in the soup. Um, so I think eventually become the kind of um, shape of flat bread. It's in China called bing. So when Pizza Hut to China, so the way they market pizza in China is called pizza bing. So right today, people still understand pizza bing more than just pizza. Um, so same thing like pasta in China is called Italian noodles. So it's, so we're seeing the reverse way of saying that is like, well, um, you know, we can make a Chinese burrito, but it's actually like Chinese bing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a wrap, uh, or like something you know, ramen is is like a Japanese Chinese food. Today is called ramen. It's more like Japanese food. But we're going to find also a, a Chinese version of <laughs> Japanese Chinese food, <laughs> the Chinese Chinese food of noodles. Uh, there's a huge tradition of that as well. So we're seeing a lot of potential of making these food accessible, a little more authentic, healthier uh, Chinese food version. So you make that decision and you're coming into a U.S.-based market that has a very particular style either of large-scale um, kind of franchise-based Chinese foods like P.F. Chang's or I can't remember what stat you gave, but the thousands and thousands of smaller family-owned Chinese restaurants. Can you talk a little bit about that and how you look to differentiate yourself in that market? Yes. So there are a few kind of dimensions you can look at through this. Um, historically, Chinese food has been developed for 150 years. It's been several generations iteration of Chinese food. The first generation about chop soy. The chop soy uh, idea of Chinese food is very uh, related to the railroad era, which Chinese Chinese people will, will come here um, as a mainly like uh, like half slavery labor kind of type. type. They basically uh, worked really hard on. Uh, 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 on the railroad, on the labor-based road that established a whole a new agricultural system in California, but they're not appreciated, this kind of part of history, um, and then become forced into only do Chinese restaurant because Chinese Exclusion Act. Uh, so in around the uh, beginning of uh, 20th century, basically, like from 10% of people, in Chinese people in the restaurant industry to 95%, because of this law thing. Um, so these generations of Chinese food was more like based on imagination of Chinese food. Chop soy literally translates a little bit of miscellaneous things. It's always the food like you just got whatever you have in the ingredients, the, the intestine stuff, just, just chop it and just stir fry it. So it's nothing like real traditional higher and better Chinese food. Uh, so then understanding Chinese food at the beginning was pretty bad. Um, but it's getting popularity anyway because Chinese food has such a flavor, unique flavors. So in the 1950s, Chinese food becoming more like today because a new generation of Chinese immigrants came here. Um, so uh, they bring in the whole new idea of Sichuan food, Hunan food, spice and different dimensions so people can build a new imagination of Chinese food built on this idea that like General Zhao chicken is literally built on like that imagination. Um, but today, we see a new generation. Like our generation came here not just only trying to survive here. We, we want to make a more contribution. We want to express ourselves. So that's we want to really bring the real Chinese food without too much imagination. 
uh, we want to bring the authenticity to here. So what we see today is like, we always enjoy the food that's more like everyday food and also real as culture, but also it's healthier. It's more sustainable. To me, I cannot eat general salt chicken every day. It's just too sweet and too greasy. So explain then a little bit. You've got this idea. You launched the first restaurant in New Haven. You've since opened uh, two in New York City. Can we talk a little bit about the transition to New York and how you're incorporating some of those cultural elements in what you're doing, whether it's from the ways in which you're configuring these stores to begin with, um, the pop-up dinners that you're doing, and how you're kind of trying to build the bridge between the two cultures and really provide a more authentic experience for U.S.-based consumers. So going to New York is based on the the decisions. It's a tough decision because New York is such the most competitive restaurant world for any restaurant to survive. It's very risky for out-of-town concept getting, getting successful there. Um, but going to New York is very going to New York is very important as a brand as a, or startup uh, because uh, we are not just only establishing a, a, a restaurant setting uh, trimbings and noodles. We're establishing a new idea of Chinese food. So trimbing and noodles is the first iteration of this idea, but it's not the end of this idea. Um, so we have to establish our presence in New York. Um, but as I said, it's very risky. So we have to think about strategically. Um, so from the very beginning, like we know Yale and then the similarity between Yale and other universities is much higher than the similarity between New Haven, um, the city to like neighborhoods like Upper West Side of New York. So going to uh, the school in large city is less risky than going to a large city and neighborhood. So... And also the brand has to occupy the space because we have we need to gain the support of uh, authenticity through the support of Chinese students. Uh, all these schools are to the largest Chinese student community in America. So we have to go to Columbia and NYU to start with. Um, so that's our strategy first off the bat to how to establish without too much risk of failure in New York City and save as much co- marketing costs as, as possible because you need to allocate your money uh, wisely. Um, so in a school, you don't need much of marketing because if school is good, people talk about it, and you're, you're good. You don't need to reach out to a lot of individual segment of companies and stuff. Um, so, and then if we establish our brand in the school, then we get out of school, is very important. So we have to run out this next door and open a brand park next month um, to really prove your mainstream brands and in the future have a uh, much, much larger market share can take. Um, so that's kind of, you start to t- think about uh, the brand strategies, communication strategies from the beginning of t- where you go. And then you have the product development to tell people w- who you are. So um, as a food company, we, although our basic, was based on the simple, fast kind of model, sell a few things well. Um, but um, if you want to become the iconic Chinese food brand of America, become authentic, uh, icons um, as ambassadors, you can only sell two things. You have to be able to tell a different story than just sell noodle bowls. Um, so, Jin's, from the beginning, we want to try is, um, so, Bing's noodles is our kind of foundation, the cash cow, to help us to do something better, interesting, uh, culturally more interesting as well. So, it's like a 
the basement of uh, the base layer of, of this pyramid. Then to build on the top of that, there is like a time-shared kind of concept called after-hours. We sell something more indulging kind of food in the night. Because that's a part of our lifestyle in China. We just don't sleep until probably midnight and still eating <laughs> on the street <laughs> at the moment. Uh, just that happens to a lot of very uh, large population cities because people just have more things to do. Um, so we kind of want to bring kind of eating-based oriented, uh, food-oriented kind of life, nightlife culture here as well uh, to providing the after-hour concept. Uh, and then the we, because we do have a very talented chef, uh, graduate from Yale, so we have the luxury to really start to kind of expand our narratives about Chinese food through higher-end chef table dinners. A chef table dinner right now we're doing right now in New York. Every time we we announce it, it can be one hour within one hour we are sold out for sixty <laughs> tickets. Um, so it's been very popular because every time we bring new concept about Chinese food through range from thirteenth century um, ancient uh, recipe revival uh, to like from Silk Road uh, Chinese food like this uh, evolutions um, to like Chinese Indian food, this kind of culturally communication things. Um, Chinese, um, like also Chinese, like the Dominic, uh, Puerto Rican food, all these things. Uh, so we're interested, we're so excited that make Chinese food become a vessel or lens to communicate different cultures in historic context, but also in a modern context. So use that as a language rather than just object. Was food as therapy to help the the health of the emperor? Is that correct? Well, yeah. I mean, it's not health uh, uh, only health emperor, but it's everyone in China they believe. Uh, I'm not saying that scientifically is is how accurate it could be, but they believe the food has some kind of a lot of contribution to health. Uh, you need not only th think about calorie counts, but also this kind of inner balance of food qualities, uh, the heat, <laughs> different flavors. Uh, different scenarios. You kind of connect yourself through the seasons, the, the surroundings, the, the environment around you, and also with the food you're taking into yourself. And then you live a healthy life in the seasons. So you've raised a, a couple of rounds of funding. This is a capital-intensive industry, obviously, that you've entered into. But I think you've you've raised those rounds with this much bigger vision of what Junzi will be in 10 years. So can you talk a little bit about that vision and how you're working now to really lay the foundation for that. We are, uh, instead, we're not a American or Chinese restaurant. We are a Chinese fair American restaurant. So it's, it is, on, uh, in, in the bottom level, it's a, a scalable American uh, concept uh, that's going to be one of the largest uh, concept Chinese food uh, in the world. That's our vision. And with that size... Small vision. Well, <laughs> yeah, well, but that's that, that's a kind of interesting opportunity for us. And if we have the size, we can become the iconic Chinese food brands as a kind of brand ambassador between Chinese culture, as well the more than real Chinese culture to the, the 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 world outside China. So then we have a large responsibility and opportunities to become that kind of ambassadors. Um, we can translate a lot of different food to different markets. We translate a lot of different culture, different arts, uh, products, entertainment to uh, American market, but also international market as well. So that's what I think the such opportunity that China become a second large, large economy in the world. 
that so far it doesn't have much of cultural uh, presence in the world market. Um, so you, it's hard to find the brand that you can match. Oh, that's like from China. That you feel great and you want every day. Um, so we can be the first one of that. Um, so, and then that's going to differentiate us from the traditional Americanized Chinese food, who is more localized. <clears throat> so American culture. So we can be a kind of building a bridge, not only very popular in the American mainstream culture, but also appreciated uh, within China as well, and also international as well. And you've already started to achieve that. I think you said that in an area where uh, it's 10% Asian, uh, you have 30% of the, the food that's being served is being served to Asians. So can you talk a little bit about how you feel like you're already managing and you think really managing quite well with this beautiful branding and the beautiful experience that you've created to both target that American market, but then also to have those hints and wonderful different whimsical elements to your branding that really appeal to that traditional Chinese yes, definitely. market or individual. So we're trying to create this kind of dual communication system. It's more like an like ocean that you can serve on it, but if you want to dive it, there's a certain depth you can dive into. Um, so to our like customer who either grew up in China who, or grew up in a Chinese family or have a group friend of Chinese friends that have been through, uh, I know kind of the real Chinese food that's different from the American Chinese food they usually eat and they will feel, the t- they try to flare, they'll find, they'll find home, they'll find the, that, that memories. So we do have a lot of Chinese students come here, talk to, hey, I've been here for a while, for like five to 10 years. It's the first time I feel this is like home flavor. And they're so appreciated because they don't even expect that. Because the, the, on, the, on the surface level, the form is very Americanized. In the restaurant, you don't, feel, you don't see a lot of Chinese uh, staff in it because it's basically an American restaurant. And the, 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 the flow, the operations, just like another Chipotle three green, the kind of everything transparent and clean, and light. You don't feel that much of just like a traditional red, gold, Chinese restaurant anymore, uh, but the flavor is right. So that kind of gave us such an advantage of uh, communicating to non-Chinese, non-Asian customers without too much burden of culture. You don't want to go to a place you can always get educated because there's too much a burden for your everyday life. Uh, but in the meantime, for people who understand the culture, they can remind a lot of them by that. So the kind of dual system you have to really kind of hide a lot of valuable details into the hindsight of a lot of customers that don't get it until they learn it. And there's little nods like the candies that you give out for free or the fact that you accept WeChat as yep. a yep. payments platform. Yes. So yeah, little things like we have we sell like Chinese lace, right? And Chinese lace is like, it's lace. It's just such a common thing. You trust lace, a company, but in the meantime, the flavor is very Asian-ish. It's like spicy crab. There's like seaweed, <laughs> all these things that make you feel that's kind of exotic in an interesting way. Also, I'm familiar with it. So we do like to talk a little bit about failure here. Um, so I would say you don't necessarily, you may not have experienced failure yet, but certainly um, what has been the hardest or most unexpected thing that you've encountered as you've gotten this off the ground over the past five years? Mm, I think for me, well, from the very beginning, we see uh, like, there's definitely a lot of room for a brand like this, but we don't know how hard or how, how much it takes to, to 
to be that one. Um, it, it, it's just always gonna harder than you think, right? You, you don't think, you don't think, I don't need to open a restaurant or I don't need to operate a restaurant, but you do, right? You don't have that kind of big 180 degree of uh, failures. You're always like, I think restaurant, we can handle it, but it's just so hard, right? Uh, we do have a lot of those things, like um, hard days. But in the meantime, yeah, definitely it's, it's about building consensus through an investment, through investors, like supporters, uh, collaborators, all those people who believe the thing you're going to do is going to happen, and then you can ha- make it happen, right? So the self-fulfillment of prophecies, is the challenge always be how hard to tell the, the prophecy to a lot of people, um, especially when there's downturn of economics uh, cycles. Um, so, like in 2000, uh, before 2008, China's investment is, is always very active. They give a higher valuation. But when I go back to China in 2008, trying to raise Series A round, I find difficulties because usually you hear a story that people give this sort of early stage company huge valuation because they tell something bold and great, interesting. And we do the same thing, but we don't get a huge valuation or a lot of investment. Although we'll get a lot of people interested about it or trying to or almost close a f- few rounds with a lot of money, but eventually didn't go that way. So we have come back. Like, hey, let's regroup and think a smaller round. Let's raise smaller incremental steps to be able to get there. Um, so those economic cycles, I think we are less prepared on the economic, economic cycles, cycles and also uh, the investment firm cycles. And when the economy went down, so a lot of VCs, they're less aggressive. They come back, like, probably I won't hold half half year trying to really figure out what's going on. So uh, if you really need money at the moment, there's a hard time. Um, so, yeah, I, mean, I think definitely from last June, we had been through a half year of hard time of raising money. So, um, but I think we're getting out of this right now because economically it's no, it's not getting better, but a lot of confidence is getting better a little bit more. But in the meantime, a store getting better as well. Yeah, I think you you have this kind of perfect point sometimes at which you can go and try to find capital and sometimes just having an additional couple of months of of information on your underlying existing businesses and the story that you're telling can either work and it can work in either direction. It can be great because you're telling the story of what the growth will be um, and you don't have the data to sp- to disprove that necessarily. Yeah. Or you may have this great story that you know is going to occur, but you don't have the data to prove it. So yeah. that, that timing sometimes yeah. can it's be... It's about the trust. It's about the confidence sometimes for the investors. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, I like to ask one final question, um, and I ask this to everybody. What book are you recommending or buying for people? I mean, for startup Just books, Just right? now, in general, in life? Mm, that's, a, that's a great question. Um, so, I mean, the, the most recent inserting books, those like Homo sapiens, those books that always want people to read it because it gives you a new perspective of seeing histories and the futures. Uh, but of course, like, uh, I definitely want to recommend a lot of like classic Chinese literatures to a lot of people like to uh, understand our culture and history better as well. Uh, there's like a bunch of canons you can always recommend. Uh, I enjoy reading those. Um, so, yeah, and, and also startup always going to be the those like from zero to one lean startup like hard thing, but hard things you need to be prepared for the journey. 
with that. Uh, but yeah. Wonderful. Well, Young, thank you so much for joining us today. And we look forward to seeing where you're expanding next. And hopefully it is to a neighborhood near all of our listeners. So thank you. Thank you. 